to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Thiel. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable, and it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt, or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it, and now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. So welcome to the latest episode of the Disrupt Your Career podcast. This time, it's my great pleasure to have Mark Miller with me. Mark is what you might call the poster boy for career disruption. He's made six major career pivots over the last 30 years. He's the author of a book called Repurpose Your Career, which was published in 2017. And his podcast has been rated top career podcast in 2019 by LinkedIn. And he's recorded, when I wrote this introduction anyway, 256 episodes to date. It's probably a bit more by now. He had a long career at IBM, which was changed by a near fatal bike accident. And we'll come to that later. And he started his career pivot organization to help those in the second half of life make meaningful career decisions. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Great to be here. Great. Let's get straight into it. We'd love to know about your own career story. We want to know more about IBM and the bike and all the other big milestones along the way. Sure. Um, well, I, when I graduated from college, uh, I did what my parents told me to do, and I went to work for the Borg. I mean, IBM. <laughs> yes, I was assimilated. Resistance was futile. <laughs> and I think everyone's old enough who listens to this podcast who gets that metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not a Star Trek, the young kids go Borg. I don't know what that is. And um, so I spent 22 years wandering around. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, companies, particularly big tech companies like Generalists, they wanted well-rounded employees. So I did all kinds of stuff. I was originally a programmer on the original, an original word processor pre-IBM PC. I was then went off and was pulling drafting boards away from mechanical engineers and putting on big CAD CAM screens. I got involved with the IBM's first Unix products, and I was training technical support and salespeople all over the world. I then crossed to the dark side and went into sales. Actually, I went into a briefing center and where it was the greatest public speaking training you'll ever get. And because I was speaking to customers every week. And after that kind of ran out, I kind of went off to be a consultant, which was a miserable experience, went into marketing. And in 2000, I left. I went to work for a successful tech startup, a semiconductor. The network processor I was working on, I was developing training and certification programs used around the world. It's still owned by Intel. Mm -hmm. It's in most of the LTE base stations. Today, it was a great experience. And then on July 11th of 2002, I was riding my bike with my friends. I came down a hill uh, into a blind turn where the road was cambered the wrong way. In other words, the road was slanted the mm -hmm. wrong way. I turned into the turn at 25 miles an hour and hit a Toyota Corolla head on. Uh, his speed was about 25 miles an hour. So we were my... Well, put it this way, my buddy Rick, who was in front of me, told me he thought a gun had gone off. Wow. So I 
they transported me to the, um, uh, the local uh, hospital. Uh, I spent five days in the trauma center. I tore up a knee, I broke a hip, I dislocated a shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, broke the clavicle, I had imprints of the pads and the helmet in my head, but I had no injury, no brain, sorry, I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. And the technical term was I was effing lucky. At those speeds, you have about a 10% survival rate. They had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. Oh, by the way, I flew into Guangdong province, Shenzhen, in November of 2002, which was the epicenter of SARS-V1. In hindsight, I later found out after we left after three days of training Huawei that a whole bunch of people got sick. So as you can tell, I have great timing. (laughs) And so, you know, it's one of these deals of where I came back and I started questioning how the hell did I live through that? Other than my right leg is slightly shorter. My knee hit the headlight and I have a scar across the, the shin. Mm. And I can't quite bend the knee all the way back to get into a child's position in yoga. <laughs> That's the worst of it. And at that time, uh, my mother passed away. Mm. Um, we got a small inheritance. We finished funding our kids' college education. Um, the, we got our, the company, Agira got bought out by, by Lucent. My stock options were worthless, but I got a six figure retention bonus. So I paid off the house, finished funding my kids college education at 46. I was debt free and I'm going, why the hell am I doing this? Now I pivoted all over the place at IBM. So at that point I said, I'm going to go teach high school math. I did that for two years. I got my certification and That was one of those deals of where I had convinced myself I was an extrovert, right? I'm a phenomenally good public speaker. I spent much of my career taking very technical stuff, making it understandable, doing animations, making it funny, telling stories. And I convinced myself that I was an extrovert. So when I went off to teach high school math, by the way, I had to be on all the time. After two years, I collapsed. I mean, I got depressed and was it rewarding? Yes. I was teaching inner city, mostly Hispanic kids, uh, juniors and seniors. I was phenomenally successful. I could not do that and stay healthy. And I quit that after um, two years uh, trying to figure out what I want to do next. That's when I have my next career failure. I went off for a year and I said, I'm going to do nonprofit fundraising. So I took a job and everyone was totally amazed. I got the job was I uh, develop a corporate development program for the Jewish Community Association of Austin. Now, by the way, I'm not Jewish. That was quite an accomplishment then. Yes. (laughs) You know, they hired me because I had deep community connections. Mm -hmm. But one of the pieces of going work for nonprofit, I wasn't driven by the cause. Uh, I grew up in an almost entirely Jewish community, New Jersey. So this was not. And after six months, I said, I can't do this. Mm. This is nuts. Uh, as is most nonprofits, this one was dysfunctional. They didn't understand their own funding model. And it's like, eh, I don't think so. And after I planned my exit after a year and immediately then went to work for another tech startup. I was pulled in to Life Size Communications, which is a predecessor to Zoom. 
and I was developing the training certification program. So if you want me to explain how video protocols go through corporate firewalls, I can explain that stuff. I did that for three years, became totally burned out, worked for a sociopath. And in 2011, I quit, exhausted. And I had already been planning since about 2007, 8, 9, watching so many of my compatriots who are my age, and by the way, I'm now 65, who were spit out. And I started looking at who's worrying about, who cares about careers of folks, as I now say, in the second half of life. And the answer was nobody. Mm. There were one or two books out there, but the reality is we we're all going to go retire. Well, the reality is, at least in the U.S., 80% can't afford to retire. Absolutely. Between the dot-com bust mm. and the Great Recession, so many people have been wiped out. So many people have home values that were so devalued, which is now crazy what's going on in the U.S. home market. And there was I saw a big disconnect. And that's when I started Career Pivot. I launched the brand in 2012 published the first book in 2013. The second edition was 2017. The third edition I published in 2019. And this last two years, I've been mostly focused on all of the disruption that is not just the pandemic, it's weather related. Heck, we have a crazy man in Russia right now that is going to disrupt things in the energy market. And it's going to affect all kinds of trickle-down effects. So at this point, I'm focused on how do we deal with the disruption? How do you be adaptable? Because so much stuff is changing. So that kind of gives you where I'm at. And I, we moved to Mexico from Austin, Texas in 2018. And we finally bought a house. We sold our condo in Austin this last, last year. All right. So that's quite a story. And thank you so much for, for going into the right kind of details and, and keeping us entertained. <laughs> I'm really curious to know what you feel you've learned along the way um, in your route from going to college to where you've got to now. You've referred to disruption and all kinds of things that, that we all you know, know about in our own way. But if you had to summarize your three top learnings, through your journey, what would they be? Oh, I think number one, I am a multi-potentialite mm -hmm. and I get bored. Um, I, I like to learn. So if I, if I go back and trace back at my career, it's about, I, I, I do something for about three years and then I get bored and I want to do something different. Right. And you know, in my own business now, I'm purposely do things because it's my business that I change things every year to keep things fresh. In fact, last night I was doing a, um, we were doing a community call on your digital presence. Well, your digital presence today looks totally different than digital presence 10 years ago. Absolutely. You know, so I've always continued to learn. The second piece is as I've moved forward is just simply knowing myself better because mm -hmm. I've, I've at multiple times gone in complete collapse because I, well, when I would taught high school math, I had seduced myself into, into somebody I wasn't. Yeah. And the third is, is to follow my own values. When I worked for IBM, I was seduced by my briefing center manager to go into IBM Global Services, which was consulting. 
I did one project. I did a point of sale for a one of the three publicly owned pawn companies, short-term lending. You want to talk about a business that was scummy, loaning money to the poor at 20% a month. And I said, I can't do this. Yeah. I, I eventually quit and went back to and, and got a marketing job and then left IBM shortly thereafter is, and the fact that I was working with consulting people and I joke, I worked with unhappy married people, unhappy divorced people, unhappy single people, because they all had relationship problems because they all traveled too much. Wow, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so the people around me are real, real important. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, obviously in the time that you've been going through this journey and getting all this learning, whether it's about context and people or, or knowing yourself well, you've obviously accumulated everything you need to be clear about where you're going with your career, but what insight would you bring and what would you say as your definitive point of view about how each of us can own and lead our own successful careers? Yeah, I think number one at this point is know thyself. Mm -hmm. It is knowing who you are because one of the big problems I had, and I see this a lot, is we start our careers and we become actors. We play roles. And as we progress, we fall into these roles and we may become somebody we're not. And why do we change? Well, we're paid. I mean, I became... I eventually became a public speaker. I was a geek that could speak. Uh, I got paid a lot of money for that. Yeah. And so as we walk down is, is just be aware of what you're doing and is it good for you? The other is you have to be vigilant. I have so many friends who just kept on walking down the path that other people laid for them only to see Oh, crap. I mean, I've had friends who have been in the print business, selling advertising in magazine. Wow, did that disappear quickly? I've had friends who have been in direct mail. So particularly in these times, you have to be aware. You have to track your own industry. I like to say you can't be a turkey. Turkeys live wonderful lives for four years. They're taken care of by their, the, by the butcher. Everything is wonderful until the fourth Thursday in November. And suddenly it's not so good to be a turkey. That's a lovely metaphor. That's great. And so you, you can't bury your head in the sand, but you also have to understand the balance between what you like to do and what people are willing to pay for. And there's a contrast between that. And this is where I see a lot of creatives who have taken their creative side, put it in a little box, closed the box up, shoved it underneath the bed. And then they hit their fifties and they suddenly go, I can't do this anymore. And so sometimes there are holes in yourself that you need to fill outside of work and be willing to do that and invest in it. Will you make any money at it? Probably not, but it's probably something you need to do. Yeah. Let's get back to um, 
to, to some references to your work. I mean, you work, you coach and advise individuals about around their careers as well as larger groups. What sort of trends and patterns have you seen beyond the great retirement or the great resignation? Or maybe just, you know, what are you seeing about how people's careers are developing these days? Well, number one, you have to understand that when you hit your mid fifties, you have a, um, you have a bullseye in your back. <laughs> There's a very well done urban Institute study done a number of years ago. They tracked literally thousands of people and by your mid fifties, there's a 50, 50, there's a 50% chance that your career will be derailed mm. and only about 10% will recover. And, and we, we see this in the retirement statistics. Almost everybody retires 80, 90% people retire early, earlier than planned, mm. either because they've lost their job or health issues, either themselves or their spouse. Mm. And so number one, it's this whole, always having a plan B. You know, right now, one of the things that's coming out of the pandemic is we're seeing record corporate formations in the U.S. Mm -hmm. In fact, in 2021, more tax IDs were issued by the IRS than ever in history. That's staggering. Yeah. I mean, it's and the fact is the only person you can depend on is you. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I now run I've gotten out of the one on one coaching. So I run a membership community now. So I have about 40, 50 people and we run community calls and, and these are people who are going, okay, they've been, I mean, one of the common things that's happened, I've got a woman in Iowa right now who's moved to Iowa because her father passed away mm -hmm. and she's living with her mother. I mean, that's become more and more common. Well, you, you had a, you had a parent passed away here recently. Absolutely. So we're, we are adapting based on having to take care of our family mm. and that affects your career decisions, particularly in this phase of life. And so therefore there's this balancing act. And the, the idea here is please, please play in this. I went through reverse parenting at a very young age. My mom was almost 40 when I was born in the mid 1950s. That was unheard of. Mm. So I went through it in my late forties. I've had any number of clients who have, parents and I say, okay, what are you going to do when mom falls? Cause she will plan it out ahead of time. Who are you going to call? What are you going to do? That should be part of your career plan. Mm -hmm. And if you have to go take care of mom or you need the flexibility, I had, I worked with one woman several years ago who uh, had been a director for IBM and she got laid off and she took a job working for the state of Texas and department of transportation as a project manager contract 40 hours a week. Well, her father who lived in Mexico had congestive heart failure. Well, if she had been working for IBM, working 80 hours a week, still, it would have been impossible. But she says, wow, I can do this job at 30 hours. They paid me for 40 hours. I'm not under any stress. I can make clear decisions. I couldn't have done that if I'd worked for IBM. So we are going through so much disruption right now. And some people are embracing this, i.e. the growth mindset. And we're seeing a lot of people who aren't, they're retiring. In some ways, they're not giving up, but they're saying I'm done. And I, I personally think that's sad. I have no intention of ever completely retiring. Mm. 
So that, you know, that whole sort of coming back, going, coming back, whatever it might be, the, the, the transition between different contexts is definitely something that intersects with many of the things that we work on in our work on career disruption. And I'm thinking, you know, there's tons of stuff we could talk about. You know, we, we've, we've done work on second half of life pivots in general. We've looked looked at encore careers, which I guess more typically defines people who don't necessarily stop. They're just, they're making that plan to do something else in their, in their retirement or semi-retirement. I'm interested perhaps in digging into um, what you think that individuals can do in terms of not just planning in a logistical way for I'm going to be doing something different when I'm 60 or next year or 65, but the sort of networking and building of relationships and building of other ways of thinking that people should be engaging in as they approach that or even way at the beginning of their careers as they make that overall arc of a plan. Yeah, uh, I had Diane Wood David on my podcast last year. She wrote the book Future Proof. And one of her concepts that I really like is experimenting with your career. Absolutely. And that is doing low risk side projects. We have, we have that same experiment in our four E's model. So we're familiar with it, but tell us, tell us your and Diana's version. Yeah. Well, it's, it's doing low risk projects to see whether you even like doing it. So that you avoid the fiasco you had with teaching. Yes. Is, is this something as I, I have a chapter in my book on MSU disorder and MSU stands for make stuff up because <laughs> we do, we, we believe if we do something, this is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I, like I went off to teach high school math and I made stuff up. And the reality is if you go off and try stuff and you say, wow, I like this. I don't like this. That then gives you direction to what may be your plan B and in relatively low risk, yeah. because, you know, it, there's a lot of, depending on your family obligations, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to mitigate risk. And if now, if you're unmarried, single, no kids, the only person you got to worry about is you. So what are the things that you need to worry about? That's one of my favorite is, and you should be doing that throughout your career. For sure. And that's something that's a totally different concept than I grew up with. Yeah. Right. I, I expected to graduate from college, go get a job, work for 40 years. And then after 40 years, right off into the sunset with a pension. A gold watch and a, and a set of gold clubs, right? Yep. And um, as I said, they moved my cheese about two thirds the way in. Yes, yes, yes. So definitely that experimenting um, sounds good. And experimenting is often linked to building new types of relationships in order to get to that experiment, right? Tell us about how you encourage your clients um, to do their networking, their building of, of relationships. And tell us about what you find they're typically frightened of or reluctant to do. Well, number one, when we think of networking, we think of walking into a room with a bunch of strangers. Who are all sweating and hating being there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And most networking is done one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's building the relationship. Mm. Now, it's knowing who to network with. I've got a gentleman in my online community, researcher at a major university. 
and he thought networking was horrible. Mm -hmm. And he went and got a, did a fellowship in DC for a year. And over time, he's actually learned to like, ne like networking. Now it's knowing what questions to ask. It's not about you. It's about the other people. It's about asking for good questions. I have my well-known acronym asking for air, which is an acronym I stole, which is uh, asking for advice, insights, and recommendations. When you ask for advice, it's a compliment. People, people rarely turn you down. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about putting the focus on other people. And even most introverts, if you, if you turn it around saying, I'm going to take interest in you, it's not about me. So how do I do that? Well, when I lived in Austin, Texas, where I used to always teach people was, oh, how'd you get to Austin? Because mm. no one was from there, right? And all you're trying to do is get them to tell their story. Because what I really want to do is keep asking questions till I find something we have in common. Mm. And, and I, I get young people going, well, you know, there's this guy, he's 60. What do I have in common with him? Well, he's got kids, right? You're building that connection. Yeah. You probably have something in common with his kids and and there are all kinds of ways to make those connections and understand, but it's, it's also to be strategic with it. I mean, today with social media, I'll, you know, use the example LinkedIn, I can find people who I like to say, uh, look, taste and smell like me and who are doing what I think I want to do, who I can go ask, what are they doing? Do they like what they're doing? How did they get there? And so Rather than looking at social media and the playing the games on LinkedIn of getting interactions versus trying to find people who I want to have real relationships with. And I'll use the example. I've had uh, Hannah Morgan and um, uh, well, I just had recently had Alex Freund on my podcast out of Princeton. And it was 10 years before I met Alex in person. And I've never met Hannah in person, yet these are all good friends who I can refer people to and we have talks. I can depend on them. Well, I couldn't do that 15 years ago. It's a huge change. And what happens is very often people are fearful. Well, they'll say, no, I have a recruiting friend back in Austin. He talked about the fact that, you know, if you're doing a, if you're doing a job search, you should lo locate 600 people the, the 200 companies you want to go work for and start an email campaign. Yeah. And he says, well, I'm going to get rejected. I says, no, you're not. You're going to, you're going to get a lot quiet. People will respond, but out of 600 people, if you get a 20% response rate, that's 120 people you can talk to. Then you start focusing on what's your value proposition and what, what problems do they have? And then how can I fit in there? but you put the focus on what's the problem. Here's what, here's the problems I solve and going, and then going, okay, these are the problems I solve. What are the problems that you have and how can I help you? And so therefore it's not about you getting a job. It's about you helping them. And you have to understand what the problems they have. Yep. And maybe you're not the right guy or gal to solve their problem. Well, can you find someone help them? Exactly. Helping in different ways. That's right. Seeing the long-term utility and fun, often, of the relationship. Let's turn our attention to companies. Do you see any particular company or companies 
ever hopeful, setting a great example in the way they support individuals in managing their careers. Well, it's interesting. I, I have partnered with two Series A startups out of San Jose. Mm -hmm. One is Get Set Up, which builds themselves as the premier senior learning platform. Okay. Uh, GetSetUp.io. And they're an interesting case in the fact that they, they launched right before the pandemic started. But I've had, I don't know, five, six people who are teaching for them, two of them full-time, just experimenting, trying things. I got Deb Livingston there, who's a former member, who she was in, in for a, a utility supply company in HR and a whole bunch of, she's now their lead. She runs the cooking section. <laughs> she's got a whole studio set up in her living, in her kitchen. Amazing. She hadn't planned this. Uh, the other one is I've partnered with Amava.com. They're a very similar platform. And like, for example, I have a number of people there um, who are coaching for them. I was there for a while, ex again, experimenting, teaching a six-port class on the thought process of becoming an expat, being an expatriate. And I was using that, believe it or not, as a focus group. Uh, to see whether I wanted to work with my co-author, Susan Leahy, mm -hmm. who is now in Porto, Portugal. And right, and, and, and it was less about the process versus the mindset. Again, I was using that and it gave me a vehicle for doing that. Now, if we look in on a broader context, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens over the next two years as Ageism has raised its ugly head. Mm. We're seeing vast labor shortages, although many of the labor shortages are occurring in blue collar jobs. Will companies realize, wow, we need these older folks? And will they change their HR processes? Because so much of the way companies hire today is very ageist. I mean, I saw this in Austin and being in high tech where the model, what they were looking for, looked like their top performers in their company, which, the, which by the way, almost all tended to be young white males. Yeah. So what they get? They got more young white males. Mm -hmm. uh, we were seeing this in the automated uh, interviewing process, the bots. They are, they're very discriminatory, particularly against African-American women. They're discriminatory based on, oh, what if, if, you know, what if English isn't your first language, mm -hmm. your vocal, you know, how you pronounce things, your intonation, you know, I use the example, you take a native French speaker and you teach them, you learn English, the average native French speaker tends to speak very monotone English. Over the next two years, as we exit this pandemic, what, what does that do to hiring processes? We know the workforce is going to change. We are seeing companies being forced, kicking and screaming into remote work. And the financing, you know, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs have been wanting everybody to come back in the office. A lot of the reason they want everybody coming back in the office is compliance. Mm -hmm. I use the example. I uh, ride bikes with a guy here in Mexico who works for Southwest Airlines and he was living in Dallas. At the beginning of the pandemic, he just, looked at his boss. He says he's single in his late forties. He says, I'm going to go to Guadalajara. I got, I got uh, relatives there. And they said, fine. Well, late last year, they said, 
well, you're in the U.S. employee stock ownership plan, and um, you can't live outside the U.S. You have to be in the U.S. <laughs> you have personnel systems and rules that were written in the 1980s and 90s that are suddenly going, oh, you really care that he's down here in Guadalajara? The answer is no, not really. He's in the same time zone as Dallas, where he lived before. He's got great internet. His U.S. phone still works. You still call him on the phone. He could be around the corner. The only difference is he can't go in the office easily. Mm. So we, it's going to be real interesting to see how companies change their employment policies and how much of that will change. So let's flip that round and look um, into the future. What are you working on right now that you're finding most exciting? And what's next for you in this never-ending career that you've decided to have? Well, Number one, I started my membership community, which kind of went flat during the pandemic because everyone froze. And now I'm seeing uh, that pick up. It's interesting. My blog had been super successful. And then during the pandemic, it kind of died. And of course, we now know that people don't read as much as they used to. I am now publishing episode 260 on my podcast. So I've put my focus on my podcast because it's the greatest networking tool I've ever had. I mean, I have had people who I can just simply call up and say, hey, I need something. And, you know, I've had Rich Carlgaard, the publisher of Forbes, uh, when he published his book, um, Late Bloomers, which, by the way, is a really good book. It took me less than two weeks to get him on my podcast. Amazing. So I thoroughly enjoy doing my podcast. I thoroughly enjoy doing my online community because I get to see people grow and I see people helping one another going, you're doing what <laughs> you can do that and having people to hold you accountable. Mm. And when you see other people doing things and you suddenly going, wow, how'd you know to do that? Well, I just tried. In fact, I've got an episode coming out with a woman right now who She's made a whole bunch of pivots in the last couple of years. And by the way, almost all of them failed, but she kept on trying, but she learned something from each time. And when she, like she took a job with a um, telehealth startup and it was, it was horrible. She quit after three weeks because they, uh, their business exploded and they, they, they couldn't scale. And she says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm 63 years old. I'm not dealing with this crap. I'm not filling in three spreadsheets with every call. And the fact that she had the gumption to say, this isn't it. So it, it's interesting watching people and watching each other help one another. For me, that's the cool piece. And I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a great place in life. I'm 65. I live in paradise. <laughs> I don't have a money worry anymore. Uh, living here in, in Ajijimejo. And I watch the craziness going around the rest of the world. And I can, I can observe because the disruption is not stopping. It isn't. Mark, it's been a great pleasure. I know we could go on for hours and hours, but we won't. Thank you so much for enriching us with all your great stories, your metaphors, your acronyms, your wisdom, and your humor. Um, I wish you the best, by the way, with going back and speaking to that real audience of real people that you were talking about. And we, we look forward to continuing to, commun to communicate with you as we go forward. So thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. 
do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.